0: happy halloween hannah
1: (laughs) happy halloween (laughs) kate (laughs) those were our spooky voices for this episode of that took a turn
0: it's the halloween edition happy halloween everyone this episode we're talking halloween costumes hell yeah can't wait i'm nostalgic for the time That we trick-or-treated together as, well, Hannah, you were a stick of butter Mm -hmm. for that Halloween.
1: Homemade costume. Homemade, homemade. I add. I did it all myself.
0: Really hoping we can find a picture of that. Yeah. I got my sister on it. Woo! On the job. I I think I heard the most compliments towards you that night than maybe ever in your life.
1: (laughs) It was a defining night, a core memory.
0: Definitely the sexiest of Halloween costumes. Ooh, yeah. Nah, we were kids. We didn't do that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Cardboard box, baby. I remember
1: the year that you went as a bathtub. It still is my best costume to this day. Hell, yeah. Although, I think we were maybe in either high school, like, end of high school or beginning of college, and you were a road. Like, you wore all black and had
0: the yellow stripes on you and taped toy cars to your body. I definitely got that from my sister. She did it the year prior. It was a last minute idea. It was a great idea. I mean, thank you. I was a road in college. No one really (laughs) got it then. Then everyone was like Playboy Bunny edition. Mm. Yeah. Which, to each their own. It was just Wisconsin and very cold by October 31st. Right. Yeah. I wanted to be covered in asphalt absolutely <laughs> asphalt is the warmest substance that's what that there I is hear yeah one year it was 50 shades of gray
1: <gasps> that's right that was another good one the 50 shades of gray costume was paint swatches of like 50 shades of gray yes. 50
0: different gray shades yes correct Genius. it was literal versus <laughs> you know sexy so that was i could have been both you're right i was the sexiest color swatch humor, you've ever seen. humor is sexy Humor is sexy.
1: The only thing that I have consistently tried to be is a pirate. Really? And I still feel that like deep in my heart. That pirate is just my go to Halloween costume. Yeah. It's I feel at home wearing a bunch of rings and bracelets and like It's almost like
0: a personality trait for you.
1: Yeah, I really like it. And I can't quite explain it, but I I feel drawn. I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention what we were for Halloween this past year when we were living together. <gasps> Which what we hosted what one party in our
0: apartment? We did and, it and was... mentioned it in our party episode. And it was the Halloween party. Yeah. That was the party. We were Abby and Alana from Broad City. <laughs> if you don't know, look it up. It's so good. It's very, very hilarious. I was Alana. I was Abby. And It was a good time. I don't think I've put as much effort into Halloween costumes as an adult. As a kid, obviously, you know, bathtub requires (laughs) significant effort. But yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of makeup, at least on my end, because I played, uh, I played LOL. I was (laughs) Abby with her, uh, wisdom teeth out. And then Alana feeds her, like, a bunch of weed and drugs and shit. And she just goes to Whole Foods and spends thousands of dollars.
1: Duh. I was the version of Ilana that was in the co-op episode, which actually, Abby was mostly dressed like Ilana So were we just both Abby then? Maybe we were. No. I was Abby
0: dressed as Ilana. You know what? Either way. And we had Bingo Bronson. Man, what a great uh, Halloween party. I'm glad we had at least one party in that apartment. Me too. Because that was a good apartment, and I miss... I miss our pod dog, Tony. I know. I don't live with him anymore, and it really yeah. bums me out. Yeah, he
1: misses you, too.
0: Yeah. But he's still our pod dog. Okay, I wanted to say, and I was meaning to say this, mm-hmm. um, so far the episodes that, if you've listened, have been recorded in the summer, this past summer, in Hannah and I's previous apartment. We no longer live together, Yeah, but not for lack of love.
1: Yeah. We're not doing this podcast out of hate.
0: It's it's not a hate cast. It is a love cast. <laughs> Hopefully the sound quality is better this time. It's our mm-hmm. first time with two mics. Uh,
1: yeah, we're learning. We're growing. We're figure- figuring it out. It's hard. I mean, harder than I expected, but it's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of unexpected twists and turns, but I think that's sort of the beauty in not knowing what you're doing, is I think had we known it was going to be as big of an endeavor as it has been... We may not have actually started. Yeah. But.
1: I'm glad we did. Me too. It's been a lot of learning.
0: So, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there that sound quality will be variable. So, happy Halloween. (laughs) Show your spooky voices. Woo!
1: You're going to go first today. I'm going to go
0: first today. What have you prepared? Well, given that our topic was costumes. mm Mm-hmm. I guess I just had a lot of questions. So, my first question was, why do we dress up for Halloween? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Where did that come from? And where did Halloween come from? All of the questions just came at me like ghosts (laughs) on a Eve's night. (laughs) And so, yeah, what I found was pretty interesting, and I'm ready to share it with you! Why do we dress up for Halloween, and how many people on the planet partake in this costume tradition? That was my main question. That is a good question. But I noticed, and I think it's been this way for me at least for a while. Sort of two thirds of the way through fall, or halfway, everything is dying around you.
1: Yeah, like it's getting colder outside. The right, sky starting to turn a
0: little bit more gray, and like it gets a little spooky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my life has definitely reflected those spooky things back at me in my brain. And Mm -hmm. so I found that's pretty normal for most humans. This time of year, I think, can be difficult for a lot of people in their own ways because winter's coming, so that has its own challenges in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially, like, 2,000 years ago when Halloween kind of first was coming into existence... Halloween was a sign of the end of the harvest and the beginning of cold winter, sort of that dormancy and honestly, death. Yeah. So it was a reckoning of all of the spooky, scary things that were coming soon.
1: Huh. Yeah. Like, life is about to get harder. Like, you have to prepare for the winter. Right. You better be ready because. Yeah, it's not so easy to just exist outside.
0: Yeah, it was, it was interesting to me that Halloween is coming from a place of fear for a lot of people and mm-hmm. acknowledging that fear publicly and in a communal way so that it doesn't have to be so scary. So hopefully you listening to this podcast helps whatever spooky feels you're feeling mm-hmm. be a little less spooky because we've all been there. We've all had our moments where the world is just too heavy mm-hmm. and... That's okay.
1: I really like that because also around Halloween time, I think, at least for me personally, and I think this probably extends to like the general American public, spooky things. There is an excitement about it and almost a joy that is coupled with the spookiness of Halloween, and that's very exciting. That's wonderful, but it just like listening to what you were saying reminded me that spooky things are. They they cut so deep and they can be commercialized in that way because they are truly scary and because it's a heavy feeling that people can feel.
0: Yeah. Good yeah. point. Good point. Yeah. So I was curious, what do costumes have to do with that? Because a celebration of spooky things, in my mind, doesn't immediately relate to, let's dress up as something we're not. Mm-hmm. The tradition of dressing in costumes for Halloween has both European and Celtic roots. Hundreds of years ago- Celts believed that on the night before the new year, which for them was November 1st, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. (laughs) Yes. Which, to me, reminds me of Dio de los Muertos. Mm, Yeah. um, And a lot of other cultures that have similar beliefs around this time of year, which I think is interesting. That's a good point. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated a holiday called Soen. The Celtics would Celts. <laughs> what an interesting name. I I Celts.
1: Also I always thought it was Celtic.
0: But I Celtic. But, I think I you're right. Know. I think Celtic is right. Hannah's googling. Pronunciation's hard.
1: Okay. People who study the Celtic culture, language, and history usually pronounce it as a Celtic But sports fans say Celtic. Are you just a major sports fan?
0: I'm just a huge fan of sports. The
1: whoever Celtics? Team? Go team.
0: Damn. Okay. I don't know why. Yeah, I I guess I was nervous about it because I'm, like, three-quarters Irish. I feel like I should know what it is. So we'll say Celtic. I found more. Okay. Amazing. Tell (laughs) us.
1: I guess the early pronunciation um, like, in its origin is Celtic, but the modern standard is Celtic. So.
0: Okay. Both. Well, cool. Then we'll just. Great. Continue on. If I say Celtic, you know what I mean? If I say Celtic, hopefully you also know what I mean. (laughs) On the sacred holiday of Soen, aka Halloween, priests, also known as Druids, who knows if that's like cuids or fluids, <laughs> we'll say fluids because it's spelled with a spell <laughs> the D, built huge sacred bonfires in honor of Sowin. And people would gather around to burn crops and sacrifice animals for the Celtic deities. So during the celebration, the Celts wore costumes that typically consisted of animal heads and skins and... At these celebrations, around the bonfires, they would attempt to tell each other fortunes. So, fortune tellers. Very cool. Definitely a part of Halloween. The tradition of sew and celebration still left me wondering, okay, that's great, but why still did they wear costumes? Because mm-hmm. that seems more of like a personal preference when you're sitting around a bonfire. You know, are you going to put some animal skins on and <laughs> and be costumatic or, or whatnot? And turns out there are uh, more reasons behind the costumes. So because the lines between the living and the dead were blurred to avoid being recognized by the ghosts that were about at that time, people would wear masks when they left their homes after dark so that the ghosts would mistake them for a fellow spirit. Whoa. Yeah. So instead of like, You know, you walk outside, it's like, oh, hey, your ghost, it's it's me, your fellow ghost. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. Which made me wonder how exactly might one dress if they're trying to be mistaken for a spirit. Yeah. That also makes me wonder why
1: the animal aspect, too. Good point. Like, why
0: the animal costume. Right. It very well could have just been two separate traditions that I'm bringing up next to each other. I, I mean, I'm not sure if they happened to be wearing their costumes and then were on the way to the bonfire and that they just didn't take them off, or <laughs> is it two completely different costumes that, you know, mm-hmm. you pack one in your backpack and you... That's so interesting. I don't know.
1: I feel like that explains to me the the
0: origin of, like, the, the sheet ghost costume. One of the most classic... That could very well be the thinking behind that costume. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I feel like you'd have to have seen a ghost to know what a ghost looks like. Right. (gasps) Right. That's the part that gets me. So, I kept digging, and I was curious, what exactly did spirits look like to people at this time? Like, what did they think spirits were? And I guess the goal wasn't necessarily to look like a ghost or a goblin, but to look creepy and hide the identity of the person beneath the mask. Oh, Yeah. So... Apparently, according to Becky Little's article, Halloween Costumes that Disguised, Spooked, and Thrilled through the Ages, people had costumes for many occasions throughout history. They would dress in costumes for balls and masquerade parties, and costumes in general were a lot more popular than they are now. So, for example, your average person would dress up on New Year's, Valentine's Day, Halloween, Easter, like, all of these events were events that one might wear a costume to.
1: Honestly, kind of fun. I We should bring costumes back more often.
0: That's what I'm saying. Why don't we wear costumes all the time? All the time. They're so
1: fun. We should throw more costume parties. I
0: agree. Costume parties. Just for the heck of it. For the win. Yeah. Yeah. Costumes weren't actually the only line of defense that people used back in the day. Yeah for protecting against ghosts. Additionally, they would place bowls of food outside of their homes to appease the ghosts and prevent them from attempting to enter. What? Do you mean,
1: like, Halloween candy bowls? Sure sounds
0: a lot like it, huh? So... That brought me into a whole nother realm of research, which I probably could have stopped at any of these points and just moved on. But that's not who I am. No. I don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) I can't stop. I won't stop. (laughs) That might sound pretty similar to modern day trick-or-treating. But it wasn't always this easy to ward away evil and trickery. You can't just dress up like something you're not and put some food on your doorstep and bada bing bada boom you're safe
1: Mm -hmm.
0: no 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 the american halloween tradition of trick-or-treating probably dated back to the early all souls day parades in england during these festivities poor citizens would beg for food and families would give them pastries called soul cakes in return for their promise to pray for the family's dead relatives so basically, poor people would go around asking, begging for food. And on this one day a year, rich people would give them soul cakes for the price of praying for their families. Whoa. Yeah. The distribution of soul cakes was encouraged by the church as a way to replace the ancient practice of leaving food and wine for the Roman spirits. And the practice was referred to as going a soul in. Going a soul and Yeah, so go ahead and try that out next time you trick or treat. And it was eventually taken up by the children who would visit the houses in their neighborhood and be given ale, food, and money. Wow. Now, can you imagine how many drunk kids we'd have on our hands?
1: (laughs) That would be insane and hilarious and terrible. That's so interesting, too. Like, yeah, good transition to, like, you know, give the food from giving the food to hypothetically no person that needs food i.e. ghost to giving it to people who do need food like right
0: slightly good transition still it still is a holiday for white religious folk to feel good about giving back to the poor one day of the year right how magical how magical a great system right yeah that's pretty spooky in itself the Mm -hmm. fact that these types of systematic issues have been around for as long as Halloween has been around. Halloween traditions traveled over from Europe along with the colonists. Are we surprised? No. Probably not. They had the costume part of Halloween on lock because they came to the Americas dressed up as nice new friends who are pale as ghosts. Oh god. (laughs) Too bad it was only concealing their oppression and bigotry that also sailed the ocean blue in
1: 1492 Uh, amazing
0: statement the spookiest of all realizations true so america's version of halloween that we now know today and have known since the 20th century as in 1900s onward i never understood as a child why we called it the 20th century if the numbers have 19, and it did not make sense. It's because the first century started with like 0, 0, 001, 0, 0, <sighs> 002. You know, uh. Time and time again, I'm disappointed with the way that time is counted. I know. <laughs> Ugh. Time, time, time. Time time time. Any hoosers. America's version of Halloween thus became a melting pot of Celtic, Christian, and Native American traditions. And really started gaining popularity in the mainstream of American culture being white Western culture. Later on, as a large number of Irish immigrants came to America looking for refuge after the Irish Potato Famine, which was from 1845 to 1852. So they basically came to America, flooded the nation with Celtic heritage, and by proxy, Halloween enthusiasts and from that point on, Halloween has been in America to stay. Damn. She's just blown up through
1: commercialization and partying and...
0: Honestly, I don't even know what else, but That's she's right. blown up. America and Halloween, we've blown up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just having so much fun looking into these articles and i guess i forgot to say my sources but i can say them right here right now um history.com was a big one um one of my articles by the editors of history.com was halloween 2022 why do we dress up for halloween oh no that was my question halloween 2022 (laughs) was the article name so disguises and costumes retained their importance on halloween well into the 20th century Disguises were especially important for kids and teens, because in the early 1900s, Halloween night was rife with kids and teens playing tricks on people, such as throwing flour at people, stealing neighbors' fences, or even <gasps> stealing dead bodies. Ew! Yeah. Halloween came and was a night of trickery. Ha. Until... <gasps> one spooky Halloween in 1933. I have chills. Yeah. On this night, the trickery was ensuing and across the nation, hundreds of teenage boys flipped over cars, sawed off telephone poles, and engaged in other acts of vandalism No, that kind of served as the final straw for concerned adults. Okay. What did they do? Well... well how did this come to an end? <laughs> it's a great question, <laughs> They brought the candy! Mm. That's right. After 1933, people were just done with the trickery. And they said, you know what? If we can't trick them, let's treat them. Uh, that was thanks to these vandals of 1933... Thanks, Vandals. (laughs) Who made a lot of concerned adults and they were like, fine, fine. What do you want? We'll give you candy. We'll do something fun instead. Right. I feel this is a good time to bring up another Halloween tradition that is great for those of us trying to scare up a husband. What? That's right. That's right. (laughs) What? I guess with all the spooky, creepy shit going on for Halloween, there's also a matchmaking element that (gasps) history brings us. It's aimed at helping young women identify their future husband and reassuring them that they would, with luck, by next Halloween, be married. What? Because that's all any girl ever wants, what? right? What? The affection
1: of a man. That's what I'm waiting for. Why don't I have seven engagement rings right now? On one finger. That's That's what I'm mad about. Hello, guys.
0: Yeah. Gals. So in case you want to know who you're going to marry... You should probably try out some of these 18th century Irish matchmaking things, I guess. (laughs) In Scotland, fortune tellers recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors and then toss the nuts into the fireplace. And the one that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, (gasps) the story went, represented their future husband. How do you keep track of which hazelnut is which? Do you do them one at a time? I think mean, maybe. maybe you have to glue googly eyes on, them <laughs> based glue on name tags personalities. On them. Yeah, name tags, maybe. name tags for sure. I mean, wow. these are foolproof ways to find out who you are gonna marry. So, <laughs> not to mention, young women would toss apple peels over their shoulders, hoping that the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. I feel like I've heard of that one before.
1: Yeah, that I feel like that's so deep in my memory, though. It reminds me of a lot of, like, uh, jump rope games. Yeah. I was going to say it reminds me a lot of, like, what's on TikTok now. Like, the TikTok filters that's, like, it just, like, you tap the screen and then a letter shows up. And it's, like, the fifth one is the initial of the person that you're going to marry.
0: Mm. Damn.
1: Same, same thing.
0: Right. I mean, if you are hesitant to look on TikTok, you can always learn about your future husband or wife. By peering at egg yolks that are floating in a bowl of water, there's some romance in the air, if you wow. haven't already felt it. Regardless, <laughs> what about last year? What do you think, worldwide, was the most popular costume, Hannah?
1: Worldwide? Hmm. See, my first two thoughts were Harley Quinn. Ooh. And, um,
0: It. The clown from <gasps> It. The most popular costume in 2021? Donald which, Trump. That would that's also a good guess. No. <laughs> okay. By far, Spider-Man. Oh, interesting. Top costume in at least 17 countries. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. Did a movie come out?
1: Did a new Spider Man movie come out that year, or was it just I think Spider Man Homecoming came out. Uh... I'm pretty sure.
0: But I also feel like there's so many Spider Man movies mm-hmm. and it's a it's not the most difficult costume, so it makes sense. Yeah. Guess what the second most popular costume was. Were any of my guesses correct? No. Second
1: most popular costume, Black Panther. Nope. A pirate. Fuck! Yeah, just like a
0: general pirate. General pirate? Okay, well. Just like the ones you like to be, Hannah. Me I guess too. you're not alone in that. Me too. <laughs> Do you feel any affiliation with Spider-Man? No. All right, pirate it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is your chance to shine this is
1: your sign this is your ad space if you have a creative pursuit a small business that you want to promote or anything else that you've got going on that you just need a shout out for we got you for no money required. Zero cost.
0: Email us at podcast at gmail.com.
1: We appreciate you listening to us. We want to give you a shout out as well. Oh, bye! Bye! Because dressing up as a pirate is my favorite thing to dress up as, I had to dig into a little bit about pirates in general. Who pirates are. Okay, so first of all, my sources for this little spiel uh is northcarolinaghost.com because i had to have a ghost element the smithsonian magazine queen anne's revenge wikipedia page mentalfloss.com britannica.com worldhistory.org and the podcast, um, last podcast on the left, they did a three-part uh, Blackbeard series, which is, I didn't listen to the full thing, because it's like over three hours in audio, and I just didn't have the time. If you want to learn more about pirating in general, and they do a really deep dive on it, and it's really great from what I listen to,
0: so. I'm so excited. Yeah. That's a crazy... Large amount of sources in comparison to the number either <laughs> of us have in the past.
1: It's because I love pirates. I'm fascinated by them, and that the, means we're on the right track. Yeah,
0: the if more, we're not podcasting about something we love, then we are not podcasting n- at all. No. Um, also, just like a plug
1: and a shout out, and not actually a source, but a, a really good show to watch: "Our Flag Means Death" on HBO Max. It is like the retelling of the story of Edward Teach, aka Blackbeard, and Steed Bonnet, aka the Gentleman Pirate, and their time at sea and their relationship with each other, and it's just such a a beautiful, um, well-produced sitcom. It's really good, and it ties in a lot of uh, true historical elements as well. A little bit of history of the origins of piracy and the golden age of piracy. So today, pirates are known for the reputations as robbers,
0: killers, scoundrels, and... I think of pirates for, like, the movie pirates. Like, I remember my mom's second cousin recorded Finding Nemo in the theater and then gave us the recording... Oh, is like, DVD piracy, and that's how I saw Bonnie Nemo for the first time. Whoa. Thank you. I will <gasps> Don't definitely say that name! name. <laughs> definitely believe in that.
1: <laughs> um, so we're, I'm talking about a different kind of piracy. The high seas kind of piracy. Oi ho hoy. <laughs> um, so, known as robbers, killers, scoundrels, and obviously in pop culture, absolute hotties, but the concept of piracy and the history behind it is fascinating to me because it's, it seems like a very niche historical lifestyle that's full of its own culture and intricacies. So, piracy dates back well into the ancient times. Um, For example, pirates were threatening trade routes of ancient Greece, Rome, and in medieval Europe. Wow. Um, So are
0: we talking like the BC times?
1: That's a good question. I don't know for sure. But I would wager. Yeah. I would wager. Oh, and the largest or the farthest ranging group of pirates were considered to be the Vikings. There is a world in which we live in which (laughs) the Vikings were considered to be pirates as well. Wow. Even though piracy dates back to ancient times, the golden age of piracy was between 19- or, whoa, between 1650 and the 1730s, roughly. Not 1950 to
0: 1930?
1: No. That's backwards, anyway. Uh, Pirate crews during this time were made up of pretty much everyone and anyone from everywhere. The majority British-American- Dutch and French pirates, but also formerly enslaved African and Indigenous folks as well. What about women? Glad you asked. I did look briefly into women because I would be remiss if I didn't. There were women pirates. Um, most of them had to masquerade as men mm. on on board the ship because in pirate code it was deemed bad luck to have a woman or a young child aboard. Um, I so, hate that
0: women are associated with young children in terms <laughs> of like skill level. Yeah. What I found as like the
1: reasoning behind it is that having a woman aboard would be a distraction, therefore bad luck, therefore we don't want them on board. That's so, terrible. That It's the male gaze that kept women from the pirate ships. Absolutely. But despite that, there were a few notable female pirates that... Had to masquerade as men and then eventually either uh, revealed themselves to be
0: women or were found out. That makes me wonder how many female pirates there were that did not reveal themselves as women. I know. know.
1: Mm. And I feel like that's something that's lost to history that we'll never know. I definitely, after doing all this research, research, I feel like being a pirate would be a very exciting existence. So, I would try it. Sail ahoy, (laughs) (laughs) BGT! So, why did people turn to piracy in the first place? During this golden age of piracy, some folks were turning to the life of pirating due to the instability happening in France and England. I suppose there were quite a few wars going on between France and England during that time. So, lots of unrest happening and lots of instability happening in France and England. So, some folks turned to piracy due to that. Others were tempted by the excitement of the wayfaring life at sea. I imagine that would be you. That would be me. Many pirates, both men and women, like we mentioned, were already experienced sailors, so it wasn't that far out of the box option. Who were the pirates pirating? (gasps) In one of the articles that I looked up, NorthCarolinaGhosts.com, this is a quote from them. It's also important to remember what the pirates were stealing and from whom they were stealing. A large portion of the vessels passing through the Atlantic at this time were holding enslaved human beings as cargo. When intercepting a slave ship, pirate crews would routinely free those otherwise destined for a life of unimaginable misery. These people would be offered the opportunity to join the ship's crew. With the chances of their being able to return home being tragically small... It's an offer many of them took up. Records show that as much as half of any given pirate ship's crew in the early 18th century would have been composed of freed Africans. Even Blackbeard's trusted second-in-command was one of these men, known to
0: us as Black Caesar. Wow. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that a lot of the quote-unquote, well, yes, precious cargo, but it's Mm -hmm. not cargo, it's human lives. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have a new appreciation for pirates. I know. I wonder then, were pirates, would they just hit a ship, not know what they were going to get, and see kind of what the cargo was, and then go from there? Or were they trying to attack ships that had specific cargo?
1: From what I found, it does seem like the main goal for pirates was to get rich. Okay. But because so much of what was being transported at that time was enslaved people that's what they ran into a lot of the time and I think it was a bit of a situation like okay we found this ship full of human beings what do we do you know you can go free and try to find your way back home or
0: you can join our crew what did that even look like trying to make your way home Mm -hmm. like you obviously can't swim there right you know and I think that's
1: That's kind of why so many people decided to join pirate crews, because it was a far better option than drowning or being sold back into slavery. (sighs) Yeah. So, still going with this article. While many pirates did kill and plunder, they were killing and plundering from people who were themselves killing, plundering, enslaving, and exploiting lands which had been invaded and were held by force. What seemed to offend the authorities, and the authorities being uh, mostly the English uh, government, but also the Spanish. And were these authorities authorities of the water? Uh, Like, the English Navy. Okay. They were not so much offended by the pirates' tactics but that somebody else was trying to get in the game and also steal and loot and pillage from people. So, essentially, the English and Spanish were conquering, colonizing, stealing so many goods and people from where this primarily was, was in the Caribbean. For example, a Spanish ship steals from Jamaica, and the ship is on its way back to Spain, and pirates intersect destroy the ship, steal everything.
0: Mm. That's
1: when the Spanish authorities get upset and say that's not allowed, even though they were doing the same thing. But it's fine if they do it. Right. Right.
0: Uh, Gosh, that reminds me of the episode we did on presidents, Mm -hmm. which I don't think by this episode air date will have come out yet. But stay tuned if you are interested in Terrible
1: inequalities. (laughs) I was also curious to learn about what the rules and norms aboard the ship were like. Um, So I looked a little bit into Pirate Code. Ooh. Um, And so the first set of Pirate Code was created in 1660, and it was generally based on maritime law. And what I'm about to cite is known as the Articles of Bartholomew Roberts. One of the rules in pirate code is that most pirate ships functioned under a democratic process. So, captains were elected. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Each crew member had an equal vote in all the affairs of the moment and had equal title to provisions unless a scarcity causes them to make a vote of reduction, if it is necessary for the good of all. So, What exactly does that mean? So that basically means like rations, like food, booze, clothing, all those things. Each crew member had an equal share.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Unless Unless...
1: they were in a time of scarcity, which they would have to vote to essentially ration.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Every person, except for those of a higher rank, because if you were of a higher rank, you got paid a little bit more. But every person of the crew be given equal portion of the prizes. So like any jewels, gold, any booty that was found. booty, (laughs) It's equally shared. If any crew member goes one dollar over their proper share, they shall be marooned. If a pirate on board steals from another pirate, the punishment is getting their ears and nose slit off. And then they are marooned. Wow. Yeah, intense. <laughs> big on I mean, equality. I thought
0: marooned was bad, <laughs> but imagine you can't even hear the bear that's coming <laughs> to attack you.
1: They're big on equality there. Any crew member who is injured or loses a limb will be compensated with 800 pieces of eight, which a couple different sources said that that is very similar to pesos. So eight hundred pesos. So, so like eight dollars, I, I guess. I don't. Yeah,
0: I I have no idea what the current conversion rate is, but <laughs> I have in no sixteen idea. yeah, you know 1660, 8 dollars probably means a lot more than it does today. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, inflation.
1: Yeah. But essentially, there was some sort of system of workers' comp in that way.
0: How often was it that people were losing limbs? Was it to the <sighs> point where they were like, "Fuck you!
1: You have to pay us. I have no legs." <laughs> like. I bet I also saw on a different source that there was a graduated scale of, like, if you lose a finger, you get 100 pesos. If you lose your left arm, you get 300 pesos. If you lose your right arm, you get 400 pesos. like That's bullshit. I'm a lefty. (laughs) Exactly. Also, on the ship, crew members were treated consistently regardless of origin or skin color, but if they were captured by... The English or Spanish, um, and tried for piracy, it was quite a different story. White pirates were usually hanged, while black pirates were sold back into slavery, which was Oof. seen as a fate often worse than death. Definite unequal treatment on land. That's, that's a wild thing to not matter at sea, but it absolutely
0: matters on land. In mm. your opinion, why do you think that was the case?
1: I feel like... Potentially, the pirate lifestyle had placed more value on the fact that, like, human labor and knowledge isn't differentiated by where you come from, what color your skin is, or anything like that. Yeah, it just seems like, I mean, say what you will about pirates, not the best people on earth, but pretty, pretty decent standards for, especially the time. Right, Piracy wasn't a career for the privileged or wealthy by any means. Sure. Um, what I also found was that a lot of people turned to piracy because land was too expensive. They either lost their land, things couldn't grow. So it was absolutely a career more so for the outcasts, even among white society, because I, it seems like if you were well-established in English or Spanish society, you were in the Navy. You were in some mm. sort of government position
0: on that side of things. But So you were part of the system that was on being the pirated against. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. That's mm. a good point. That's a good point. If you're well-off, you might not need to say, fuck the man. Maybe you are the man. Exactly. Or are benefiting from the man. Exactly. Another law
1: of Pirate Code that I thought was kind of funny. The band gets to rest on the Sabbath day. Which made me think, are there musical bands on pirate ships? I guess there must be. I sure hope so. Because that's a rule. Every Sunday, they get that holy, holy day. But no one else gets to rest? Didn't seem like it. The ship's gotta sail every day. The ship's gotta sail! The ship's (laughs) gotta sail! So, piracy... After all this being said, it was not solely about sporadic killing, robbing, and destruction. In order to be a good pirate, you also needed to master the art of intimidation.
0: I thought you were going to say mermaiding. No.
1: Damn. According to worldhistory.org, the first weapon pirates used was terror. (gasps) This took the form of the Jolly Roger flag, which is the skull and crossbones. What? Yeah, I didn't realize that that had a name, but it's called the Jolly Roger. So, building up one's reputation as a vicious killer was much more effective than moving haphazardly into battle or an attack. If you build up that legend, that reputation, if you build up the terror and the fear, you don't have to engage in the senseless killing.
0: Mm. You don't have to.
1: You have less casualties on your end. You lose less of your crew. You gain the same amount of booty and you kill less other people. So it's really just like a game of terror and intimidation. Sounds like the Cold War Pirate Edition. Interesting point. So this also posed a creative opportunity to brand yourself as a feared and illustrious pirate, which is where some of the legends have been birthed out of. One of these legends I'm going to get into, that being... Blackbeard the pirate.
0: I'm so excited. My only context for this is the SpongeBob episode with pirates, and I don't even know if that's Blackbeard.
1: Whoa, it's not. That was the Flying Dutchman.
0: Oh, well, of Davy Jones Locker. Thank goodness you knew that, because <laughs> I sure didn't.
1: So, let me tell you a little bit about Blackbeard. Okay. He's one of the most legendary pirates that there is. Um, yes, he was a real person. There are no official records of his birth or his youth, but historians typically agree that he was born in Bristol, United Kingdom as Edward Teach in 1680. From what historians have gathered, it seems that Blackbeard or Edwards, or biological father, um, passed away soon after his birth. Later on, a stepfather was introduced into his life who had a habit of regularly physically abusing Edward.
0: Mm.
1: When Edward was 16, he signed up to work on a ship as a cabin boy for the English Navy. The ship he was working on was one that transported cargo and enslaved people to Jamaica. Um, So while there are few records, it's been believed that by the time Edward was in his early 20s, late teens, he was the captain of his own vessel. And I learned that this is not uncommon, as the average age of pirates in general, but also captains, were in their mid-20s. Really? Yeah. I always pictured, like, really old, like, weathered, war-torn kind of
0: beings. Yeah. Um, I guess that makes sense, given... Probably The average age at the time. Mm -hmm. But that also, I think, in its own way is a bit inspiring too, because even though our average age as humans is far older than it maybe once was, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you you can't still be successful and captaining the ship of your own life Mm -hmm. in your early to Mm mid-twenties. It's been done before. In fact, it is commonly done before. So get after it. And if you're not, that's okay. We have a very long lifespan. (laughs)
1: So, Edward Teach, our friend Blackbeard, doesn't appear to us as a pirate until 1715. Uh, During his career, Blackbeard became one of the most feared pirates on the waters. Merchants and sailors would fear his name and flee at the sight of his flag. Interesting. Yeah. So, he was described as being fierce and wild. He had a long black beard. He would tie, like, ribbons and bows in his beard, which was definitely unique at the time, and I think threw a bunch of people off. But he would also tie fuses and, like, candle wicks in his beard and light them on fire. So Wouldn't that, that hurt? So when he was going to attack and pillage a ship, he would have all this smoke and fire swirling around his head, looking crazy intimidating, And seemingly like some sort of ghost figure, otherworldly, terrifying
0: pirate. Oh, that's actually not a terrible idea, minus the smell of singed hair that you experience.
1: (laughs) Small price to pay. Some sources say that he carried six pistols strapped to his chest, but... Where would
0: you even have room for that? (laughs) I know.
1: But... He was most often described as carrying three pistols across his chest, which, when I read that, reminded me of uh, this manager that I had at my very first job at Papa Murphy's. Um, she the best said, job you've ever had. Best job ever. <laughs> she said that, she was like, yeah, I keep three guns on me at all times. One for my right hand, one for my left hand, one for the guy next to me.
0: So, Was she serious?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know. I doubt it. I bet that's she just something she She also drove said. a
1: motorcycle, and so did her husband. You know what? Her cred's just, a little higher now. Yeah. It, they just seemed a little, you know, the pirates of, of the freeway. So, all of this is to say that Blackbeard had a very frightening, almost ghostly demeanor, um, and he had the intimidation skills to build such a crazy legend around himself. His reputation became so strong that sailors would surrender without a single shot being fired. So he was good at the game.
0: Psychological intimidation. Mm -hmm.
1: In Our Flag Means Death, Blackbeard refers to this as the art of fuckery, Uh, and just, like, basically, like, pranking and doing up the theatrics to elicit a, a terrified response. So, the art of fuckery. Generally... Blackbeard was much more into the art of fuckery than he was into actual brute violence, Um, but despite his resistance toward unnecessary violence, Kimberly Kenyon, who is a field director for the excavation of his ship, side note, his ship was discovered and they have been excavating it.
0: Where was it discovered, do you know? North Carolina, off the coast of (gasps) North Carolina. Um, That's so close! We could take a, a vacation there! We could.
1: We could see it. So, despite this, like, resistance to outward violence, um, the ship was heavily armed with 250,000 bits of lead shot, 400 cannonballs, dozens of grenades, many muskets, as well as a total of 40 English and Swedish cannons. Wow. So, That's he was prepped. That's
0: a lot of firepower. Yeah,
1: he was prepped and ready... If he needed to use that kind of violence.
0: That is scary to think about. Yeah. That there's that much explosive material just hanging out in North <laughs> Carolina for someone to discover. Yeah, true. Because I don't think archaeologists bring diffusion kits.
1: Probably not. Because yeah. what are they expecting to find? Not explosives, probably. Yeah. Kimberly Kenyon, who seems like a badass woman leading her team... To excavate this place. Let us know what you had to do.
0: Yeah. I bet she has three pistols strapped to her chest.
1: I bet there are three pistols from the excavation. Mm -hmm. And then she has three of her
0: own. She's like, oh, thank goodness I brought three extra holsters.
1: Thank God. She's uh, creating a legacy of her own. Kimberly, you go, girl. (laughs) So I did a bit more research into his ship, which is known as the Queen Anne's Revenge. Queen Anne's Revenge was originally an English vessel, once captured by the French, and when the French occupied it, it was largely used to transport enslaved people. So then, in 1717, Blackbeard captured it from the French, and he commandeered it into his own pirate ship, which he used for roughly a year. He had built a crew of about 300 people. Wow. On that ship, which... According to the information from Kimberly Kenyon, the crew of 300 was required to man the 40 cannons. So, like, that's how many people you needed to even operate that many cannons, which is crazy to me. I don't know how cannons work. So Blackbeard and his crew used it for about a year until 1718 when Blackbeard had run it aground in North Carolina. Which sounds like a big oopsie, but I honestly don't know if it was on purpose or not.
0: Either way, it sounds cool as fuck. Yeah,
1: they transferred all of their goods and treasure to other smaller ships. The wreck was eventually discovered in 1996, so it was laying dormant for so long, from 1718 to 1996. Ooh, some more information from Kenyon and her crew was that... As of 2018, over 400,000 artifacts have been recovered from the wreck. Evidence shows that Blackbeard could have had a taste for literature, (sighs) as many books were found among the belongings of the ship.
0: A man of my own heart.
1: As well as fine food. There is also evidence to show that when Blackbeard and his crew had commandeered the ship from the French, he kept on the French chef. Remains of boar, turkey and deer were found during the ship's excavation. So it seems like they ate well. Another interesting item was a urethral syringe that still had traces of mercury in it. That was a popular treatment for syphilis at the time. What? Yeah. So it only makes sense that you're living on a pirate ship, you're going to all these ports, you're engaging in the brothels. That just sounds
0: so terrible. Terrible. (laughs) Mercury... Going up your urethra yeah. to stop your syphilis? Yeah.
1: As of 2018, Queen Anne's Revenge was only halfway excavated and is, I think, currently the only pirate wreck to be scientifically studied.
0: Really? hmm Wow.
1: During Blackbeard's time as a pirate, he developed a relationship with the gentleman pirate, Steed Bonnet. Watch Our Flag Means Death. For more of that storyline, it seems really adorable and beautiful. They eventually struck up a deal to co-captain a ship, which was unique but not unheard of. Kind of like co-hosting a podcast? Kind of like. (laughs) (laughs) Except it seemed that they enjoyed each other's company so much that historians speculate that they were also romantically involved.
0: Okay, very different than this kind of co-hosting situation.
1: But exciting. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Blackbeard... So legendary, he was so savvy at being a pirate that he was able to master the art of fuckery to the extent that there is no evidence to show that he actually ever killed anyone until his final battle. Yeah. He was only a pirate for two years, so his albeit short stint, but legendary reign on the high seas came to an end... In November of 1718, when the governor of Virginia sent a ship after him, captained by a man named John Maynard.
0: Hate him already. Just like John Mayer. Hate him. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck John Mayer. Fuck him. Fuck them all. Fuck all the Johns.
1: Beautiful voice, beautiful guitar playing, but no! No! (laughs) Uh, According to North Carolina Ghosts, Maynard snuck up on Blackbeard and his crew at a spot known as Teach's Hole on the North Carolina coast. A terrible battle ensued and Blackbeard was shot five times and stabbed at least 20. That's too much. hmm Um, the rest of his crew was either killed or captured. Maynard displayed Blackbeard's trigger alert, severed head, upon his ship while his body was thrown overboard. Ugh. Yeah. Legend says... Blackbeard's headless body swam around Maynard's ship three times before sinking. Some say that to this day, there is a mysterious light that moves beneath the water at Teach's Hole, and on stormy nights, you can hear a man's voice calling out in pain, Where's my head? (sighs) Suggesting that Blackbeard's spirit is still among us, and endlessly searching for his missing head,
0: wow that's that's the story. That was very well done. I am surprised he has such a legend mm-hmm. after only two true years of pirating. I know he embodies the pirate stereotype to the point where the other uh, morning, Jake and I were watching Saturday morning cartoons and so we were watching um codenamed Kids next door. And the episode we watched was uh, Candy Pirates, basically. But I think it must have been based off of Blackbeard when you said he had all those things in his beard. Mm. The pirate that comes and takes all their candy has all this candy in his beard.
1: And he uses that
0: as, like, an intimidation factor. I mean, it's not nearly as cool as, like, lighting his beard on fire.
1: That's gotta be a nod to Blackbeard. For sure. Very cool. I learned a lot about pirates. They're really not as bad as i thought they were that the world has made me believe them to be uh yeah i'm i feel more affirmed in the fact that pirates are fucking cool and fascinating also i didn't even mention that there are modern day pirates but it's a very different i didn't look into it that much but it's a very different um type of lifestyle and culture than the golden age of piracy
0: good to know yeah yeah yeah, because I know there have been some... Yeah. I've seen some, like, news stories and things mm-hmm. that have to do with that, but good right. to make that uh, differentiation. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you have the spookiest Halloween yet. Um, let us know what you're going
1: to dress as, what your <gasps> costume is. Yeah.
0: Hannah, what are you going to be?
1: Uh I don't know. I, hearing... It's
0: literally Halloween today. <clears throat>
1: Okay, I feel like I have to. I feel like if I the, if I'm not the thing that I say right now, then I'm gonna be betraying. It's, you're workshopping
0: it. I'm your workshopping, workshopping it.
1: costume is. I, I would like to be something creepy, something spooky, something terrifying. Okay. I think I think your part of the story made me want to connect back to the creepiness, Halloween origins. Yeah. What about you?
0: Well. Jake and I are doing our first ever couples costume. Whoa. One of us is going to be a bowling ball and the other one is a bowling pin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's on brand. (laughs) It is. There's so many options. You can do scary things. You can do pop culture. You can do objects. Anything. Kind of like this podcast. You never know where we're turning. (laughs) But right now we're going to turn off our recording and bid you all adieu. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Ahoy. Thank you so much for listening to
1: That Took a Turn,
0: the podcast written, produced,
1: and everythinged by us, Kate Geary and Hannah Domish. It's pretty DIY. If you're digging the pod, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to That Took a Turn wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also check us out on Instagram at That Took a Turn Podcast. Special thanks to Garrett Burns. Our theme song is by Music Unlimited. This has been by Handsome Prince Production.